0: behind the bits is the show for you now let's get behind the bits
1: Hey, BTB Buddies, this episode where I interviewed Dr. Peter McGraw was actually recorded before COVID-19 shut down the country, so there's no mention of that. Dr. McGraw is the co-author of The Humor Code, which you can get on Amazon right now, and has a book coming out called Stick to Business, What the Masters of Comedy Can Teach You About Breaking Rules, Being Fearless, and Building a Serious Career. I've actually skimmed this book, and it looks like a really good book. You guys are looking for things to do and read while you are shut in, and this looks like a good one. So check it out on Amazon. It's S-H-T-I-C-K to Business, and it is available on April 1st. So you can be an early adopter of this book, and if you like it, please tell your friends. Here is Dr. Peter McGraw. All right, we're back at the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and I've got Dr. Peter McGraw here with me. How you doing, Peter?
0: I'm great, thanks, Scott.
1: I know, I know, I can call you Pete because I uh, read your book. So, but I want to make sure I got the Doctor Peter McGraw in there, so people know I'm talking to an actual uh, PhD dude. So I appreciate, <laughs> I I cred.
0: appreciate it. I need credit. You know, I've I've tried to to um, move to Peter. It's, you know, when I turned 40, I thought, oh, you know, I, I'm an adult. I should be Peter, not Pete. Uh huh. Um, but it qu- hasn't quite stuck.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, I've tried to go from Scott to Scott and that hasn't stuck either. So,
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so just, uh, some of the things I know about you just through, uh, Googling, you've got your PhD is in quantitative psychology. And you teach a Ph.D. course uh, in behavioral economics and an uh, MBA course in marketing management at the University of Colorado Boulder. And you wrote along with Joel Warner the Humor Code, which is a very good book. Uh, as I told you, I'm about a third of the way through it, and uh, got some. I've got a few things to throw at you about that book. And you've got a new book coming out. Uh, I I'd like to kind of bookend the podcast with uh, with talking about the new book, and then uh, maybe as we as we uh, end the podcast, maybe mention it again because from what I have read from the draft you sent me, I think it's really really good because I'm in business and I, I think it really relates.
0: Um, well, that's fantastic. So first of all, um, I appreciate you uh, actually reading that, um, that book, The Humor Code, um, because I don't think a lot of people have. Uh-huh. And so um, it's very nice, and and if you're enjoying it, you should, you should give most of the credit to Joel Warner because he did the heavy lifting on yeah. uh, on the writing of that book, as you might imagine. Yeah, he's I, a he's a Denver-based journalist and, a, and an incredible writer.
1: I really liked his point of view in that book. It was very good.
0: That's fine. It's for the listener. It's um, the book's a kind of part pop science, part travelogue, part memoir that looks at the question: <laughs> what makes things funny? And we travel around the world. Um, but the way the book is written is, is, kind of like a buddy road trip comedy and, um, it's told from Joel's perspective. So he, he makes fun of me a lot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> but the, uh, the, the new book, uh, I, I want to get into that first stick to business. Can you, can you give me a brief synopsis of this? Cause I know it's coming out April 1st and I want, I want people to know what this is all about.
0: Yeah. So the so the book's yeah, it'll be available on Amazon April first. Um, you can go to petermagraw.org for some other information, including um, I'm going to be offering a free workbook to work through some of the the lessons in there. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind the book is it's a little different um, than what you might expect. So it's not a book about being funny. It's a book about thinking funny. That is thinking differently. Mm-hmm. And in it, I, I kind of pull back the curtain and take a look at the craft of comedy um, and, you know, do profiles and, and uh, look at cases of the world's funniest people and how they have these very interesting practices and perspectives that help them do an incredibly difficult task, which right. is create laughs on command. And then I translate those practices and perspectives into lessons for people like you, you know, people who, um, are entrepreneurial, people who want to try to get ahead in business, people who are trying to improve their careers. Um, and so I, I like to say it's a uh, serious business lessons from the world's funniest people.
1: Uh-huh. Well, that's great. Um, I, I, talk about my podcast, a serious talk about comedy, so it, it fits well. Great minds think alike. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, as you did the research for this book, obviously you were looking at uh, different comics. Who, um, I guess, I guess the word, the words that I always hear is "stay in your lane." Um, and most of these comics, the way they broke through and got successful was by not staying in their lane. And in, and yes. can you speak to that a little bit? Because um, I think that's really important
0: yeah so if you think about it, so I have this saying I teach an MBA course in marketing management I teach a PhD course in behavioral economics and, and you know I say to my MBA students in particular I, you know I start my class I say business is hard, business is hard business is hard. We have a tendency to think it's easy because we always see the successes and we don't see the ninety ninety five ninety nine percent of companies and entrepreneurial ventures that fail. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, what is also hard is comedy is hard, right. right? It's cutthroat. It's difficult. Um, and in many ways it's actually even more difficult than business, right? So Starbucks can sell you the same pumpkin spice latte every October mm-hmm. and you never get sick of it, you know, but Bill Burr can't tell you the same joke, two specials in a row. Right. And so what comics are doing is they're they're living in a world where there's lots of competition for those jobs. And they're in such uh, a state of um, creative focus because they need to pursue novelty, unlike any other business that they um, the smart ones, the good ones, the successful ones do two things. They think they they learn to see the world differently because they need to see the world differently in order to make those creative bursts of joy, right. That come Mm -hmm. as a result of of, a joke. Then they also need to break rules in order to make their way
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and to be different and to be successful. And so there's a certain amount of kind of misbehavior that happens in comedy. Like if you play things nice, if you are, um, if you play by the rules If you try to be like everyone else, you're not getting anywhere. And my argument is that too much of business, as you say, stay in your lane. I talk about what I call the status quo bias. Uh Well, this is the way we do it. This is the way it's always been done. Well, if everybody thinks like that, now you end up having products and marketing communications that just all seem the same. Right. And and so can you think about creating products and, and marketing communications that are more like jokes, that is, that stand out from the rest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that and really that the when I think of how uh comic things, because I'm like half a comic, I understand that you're always thinking on your feet and you're always trying to stand out you're trying to you're trying to be the one that people remember i mean if you're in a showcase and there's 10 or 12 of you or whatever then you want to be the one that they remember and uh i guess it doesn't necessarily have to be like um i guess out it it doesn't have to be outlandish it doesn't have to be um, political or anything like that in the comedy world, it just has to stand out and it, and be yeah, different.
0: yeah, yes, as I like to say, it has to be good. yeah, right and and the issue is what what good is is that it solves it solves a problem in you know in a new way, right? Things that are creative are original appropriate solutions. and by virtue of being a joke, it has to be creative mm-hmm. and then hence good. So I agree with you. It doesn't have to be outlandish. It just has to be different. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so the book, of course, it doesn't just—it looks very heavily at stand-up comics, but it doesn't—it um, doesn't focus exclusively on stand-up comics. Um, I also talk about improv and sketch comedy. And and you said something that that's reminiscent of um, one of the lessons in the book. So I, what I say is that um, that oftentimes when it comes to making something, um, an individual, a single individual can do, can come up with a creative idea, but you often need others in mm-hmm. order to make something innovative. And so now what's happened is you have to move from a place of, um, of, you know, perhaps like misbehaving, thinking differently, breaking rules, um, to then stepping into a world where you need to get along with people. Right you know, and so you need to find people who cooperate with you, you know, uh-huh. so you know, you're a podcaster, you have a voiceover artist, you need to get along with that voiceover artist, right, you yeah. know, even if you have some creative differences and so on and so you need the voiceover artist because they're a professional, they need you because they need work and mm. together you you want to come together and create something great Yeah. and so um, one of the one of the things I talk about is, I call it here, here, you know, so it's um, H-E-A-R Mm -hmm. H-E-R-E, which is how important it is to listen, you know, and how important it is to pay attention. And and comics understand that because as they refine their jokes, they're paying special special attention to how is the audience reacting. And then they're making slight changes, paying attention to how the audience is reacting. You know, making slight changes, paying attention to how the audience is reacting. Mm -hmm. Well, good product managers are doing exactly that same thing, right? You know, you right. launched this podcast, you're paying attention to what am I getting positive feedback about? What mm. am I not getting positive feedback about? Yep. So to the listener, like, I can't help myself. You know, Scott had, had uh, asked me to be on this podcast. and I, So I listened to some episodes and I was like, dude, your intros are too long. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, if you're an improviser You're making a scene out of nothing. Well, you cannot be standing in a scene as an improviser just thinking about what you're going to say next, because your scene partner might be talking about how you're on a ship tomorrow, a rocket ship to Mars, Mm -hmm. and you're thinking we're on a Boeing 747, Right. and so then you talk about the flight attendant, because you weren't listening to your scene partner. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, You know, good business, you know, being a good manager, being a good founder, being a good CEO is not just about telling people stuff. It's also about hearing what they have to say. And especially when those people are the customers, right? And so um, and and the funny forward.
1: thing is is you need to talk about ego there too, because um, I could have said, "Well, screw you, Pete, you know I, I you know, I really like my intros, and I'm gonna do it that way, but I took you weren't the only one that said it, uh, so you know, ah. I, you know I got a couple feedbacks that way, and guess what? you know I, I, my ego's not so strong that I'm not going to change it. So you know, I made the changes.
0: Indeed, look, I would say this if you want to make art, then you can ignore what the, the you know, what the audience says. Yeah. But if you want to make entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want people to, to pay attention, then they get a say in it. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I like to say that vaudeville was the first lean startup. Uh-huh. You know, yep. and so it's just like it's like the world of business has been slow to this idea. Right. But the idea of putting out a minimum viable product, something that you are um, nearly embarrassed by, mm-hmm. you know, has been happening for years. It just started, it just feels like it started in Silicon Valley 10, 15 years right. ago.
1: Yeah, I uh, I did have an epiphany while I was reading your book. I've always, oh, wow. mainta- I've always maintained that artists, um, and I'll go into musicians and comics uh, that they don't really change history so much. Um, they are chronicles of history, and you go back to the like the '60s and all the flower power and stuff like that. The you know the the mamas and the papas and Steppen, Steppenwolf and Led Zeppelin. They didn't really change anything. They made good music that was showing what was going on at the time. But in mm-hmm. your book you totally turn that on its heel. And and then you go back to like Lenny Bruce, you know, he he was he was pushing the envelope, but he was talking about what was actually going on in the world at that time. I, I don't think he made any major changes. He was just chronicling. But then you uh you've got a, a part of the book that totally turned that on its head when you talked about Hannibal Burris's uh his cosby thing because that oh, yes. actually
0: changed history can, can you go into that just a little bit yeah so um this is something that goes all the way back to to our travels in the humor code you know a lot of people especially comics like to think that comedy can can change the world and um this guy um um oh i forget his first name his last name is davies who we met, um, met with, puts forth, he, he talks about comedy either as a thermostat or as a thermometer. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that comedy can change the world is thinking about comedy as a thermostat. You can turn the heat up, you can turn the, um, the heat down in a room, so to speak. That is, you can change the way people think about the world. And I think that comics aspire to do that. hmm I also think that that's rather rare. I share your opinion. I think right. that that's rather rare. Yeah. What is happening most of the time is that comedy is serving as a thermometer that is that it's taking the temperature of the room. Mm-hmm. And so um w- you know when people are you know when comics move from m- making fun of homosexuals to making fun of homophobes you could say that they're changing the world but I think most of it is they're just tuning in that the world has you know, has has changed their opinion about sexual orientation. Exactly. Now, that's not to say that these things are mutually exclusive. While I think that comedy is most often a thermometer, on occasion it can be a thermostat. Mm-hmm. And so, um, the anecdote that I that I have in Stick to Business is about um, Hannibal Burris. So, you know, Hannibal Burris is probably be, uh, operates best as a stand-up comic. So he was a he was a writer in SNL and yeah. really couldn't get any of his sketches on TV. You know, he you can find him on the Eric Andre show playing himself. But, you know, he's he's a stand up comic and he's a good stand up comic. And he had been working on a bit where he was railing against Bill Cosby telling young black men how they should behave. Uh-huh. Like they should pull their pants up. Yeah. You know, and so this sort of, you know, this old this old comic, you know, kind of telling these young guys how they should behave. And and basically Burris is like, uh, you don't have any place to be telling us how to behave because you're a rapist. Yeah. <laughs> and he essentially told the world, like, Google Bill Cosby rape.
2: Mm-hmm. And you're
0: going to find all these stories about this stuff. And then that bit, as he was working it through, got picked up by a television station. And that served as like ground zero for this yeah. explosion of media coverage. Women coming forward, and obviously, you know what has has happened right, right since.
1: Yeah, that um, that you know that changed my mind, and I'm right on the same page with you. I mean, we're we're usually a thermometer, we're a chronicler, and and we're you can go back to you know what uh, Bill Hicks was doing or whatever at any given time and know what was going on in the '80s and, and and that type of stuff. But you know, we're in most cases we're not changing things, and and we shouldn't act like we are.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm, um... I, I have another little quick thing. So um, you, you're a, you're a comic, so you know who Doug Stanhope is. Oh yeah. Um, but if your listeners don't know who Stan, Doug Stanhope is, he's a super interesting dude, right? Talk about someone who misbehaves. Talk about someone who breaks rules. Who right. lives the way he wants to live. He lives on this this uh, this compound in a tiny five thousand person town in Bisbee, Arizona. Uh-huh. Um, and, but Doug's a very smart guy and he, he certainly is, I think a funny standup, um, who so in terms of like, I'll give you an example of his misbehavior. He, um, he, he did a stand-up special and wrote a book called digging up mother uh-huh. in which he, he talks about, um, his mother committing, um, suicide because she was dying of emphysema mm-hmm and how he was there. I mean, he had a very loving relationship with his mother. This is told with a great deal of affection. But, um, you know, she took like 30 morphine pills washed down with cocktails, and he and his friends roasted her. Yeah. Um, he even thought about hiring a, a party clown for the event. <laughs> but um, Bisbee is too small to have a clown, a professional clown. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Doug has a bit about how um, he tells all these jokes to rooms full of drunk people and the problems just keep resurfacing. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I, I tackled that problem in a 2004 special. Why is it coming up in the news again? <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he, you know, even these comics who want to change the world recognize that the limits of, of comedy in yeah. order to do. That.
1: Yeah. You might change a few minds, but you're not, you're definitely not going to move mountains.
0: Yeah, I will tell you this. I do think that, there, that, that it happens. Here's how I think that it happens it goes something like this. Let's suppose someone in the audience is a homophobe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And Doug Stanhope gets on stage and makes fun of homophobes. And the audience laughs and gives them an applause break. Mm-hmm. That person is sitting there going, oh, maybe this is not okay. Right. Right? You know what I mean? And the role the social pressure plays is I think not trivial in terms of changing people's mind. Mm. I mean, the best the best way to change someone's mind is for the people they want to have sex with to not like (laughs) whatever it is that they believe. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's not gonna happen. No, that's right. (laughs) One of the one of the things um, that in, in the Shtick to Business book that uh, the the comics that you mention, so I I see a lot of comics and I see a lot of very good comics, but they are traveling around doing you know one night roadhouse stands and uh, barely getting by, and some of them are just as funny as the ones that you see that have a Netflix special. They could be as funny as Bill Burr. Have you found some common denominators between comics who are good and comics who are good and then get successful?
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so first of all, to be good at comedy and also to be good at business, it really helps to be smart. Yeah. Right. Like, so it just helps to have horsepower. Mm -hmm. Um, And in part because intelligence is correlated with creative ability, for example, Um, And so it helps to be smart. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, you're born with some, you know, some level of intelligence, but but fortunately, you can add on to that by working at it. That is like reading and being knowledgeable about the world and learning and Mm -hmm. so on. And one of the things that seems very clear is that the world's most successful comics and the world's most successful people in business, business, they're voracious consumers of ideas. Right you know? And mm-hmm. so that is that they, they pay attention to the world. And then, you know, this is an aside, this is not in the book, but you know, there, what happens, I don't think a lot of people realize this is that there's compounding effects of knowledge,
2: mm.
0: right? So, so reading, um, a thousand books, um, is not, um, you know, is not, is not, um, 1000 times better than reading one book. Right. It's 10,000 times better than reading one. book. Right. 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 So, you know, you get these nonlinear effects because you can start to create an associative network and start to really understand the world Mm. where then, where then like, like, for example, you are, because you know so much about music and you know so much about comedy, you can then start to put together things about music and comedy right you wouldn't have otherwise mm-hmm. right and get these multiplier effects now the the difference though between the people who are funny and the people who are successful or the people who are smart in business and the people who are successful besides some of the obvious is sometimes it's just luck you know sometimes right. you're too early sometimes you're too late is that these people are professionals yeah Right? That is that they, ha- they approach this, um, and in, in chapter six, I, I, I call it work hard or hardly work. They have this craftsperson approach to making things amazing. Mm-hmm. And it goes something like this. Um, A, you identify what are the most important tasks to do. Right, So Mm -hmm. maybe if you're a startup, it's about the code that you're writing for this this new program, platform, app, whatever it Uh might be. If you're a comic, it's obviously writing jokes Mm -hmm. and testing those jokes. Once you know where most of your reward comes from, then what you have to do is protect your time to allow you to do those things. Right. Right? So... Um, you know, I'm never going to do a podcast during my writing time, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as you know, podcasts are important for me in terms of getting the message out, but the writing is the most important thing. Um, and so, uh, so then you protect that time, you make that time sacred. Uh, next, what you do is you, you work on this ideally daily, Mm. So this is a this becomes a daily practice. So you're not jamming 14 hours of programming into one day a week or 14 hours of joke writing into one day a week. You're doing two hours of programming intensely seven days a week. Right. Or two hours of joke writing seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one of the cool things, and I don't think people often get this message, is that at some point you release yourself from this task. And you let yourself, A, do some of the other less important tasks that you need to, to pay bills or whatever it is. Mm. And then some of it is, is you do things that make you a better person. Uh You know, spend time with your partner, see friends, get exercise, go for a walk, take a hike, take a nap. You know what I mean? (laughs) Eat a good, delicious meal. The kinds of things that you need to, to enjoy yourself. And so I call it, you know, so you protect, you grind and you release. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, you know, when you look at it, what are comics doing is they are um, they're working during the day to write their material and there's they're going to open mics at night testing it, but they're also having downtime in between. Right. Um, and so Charles Schultz, for example, five days a week, you know, would get up in the morning, you know, um feed his kids' breakfast, take them to school, and then, from you know eight thirty to four thirty p m, he wrote peanuts uh-huh. cartoons. He wrote thousands upon thousands by himself because Monday through Friday he protected that time, he ground, wow. he was a grinder. But then when the kids came home, he became a dad again.
1: Uh-huh. yeah,, you know, <laughs> and
0: so on. And I think that a lot of anything that that's sort of worth doing in the, in a professional sense, you can approach it with that same craftsperson person like mentality. Right.
1: I think it's also important to um, constantly evaluate how you're spending your time so that you are able to carve out that time. Uh, I, a personal experience. You know, I've I've got this phone and I had a bunch of games on the phone, and I, you know, I played uh. those I played those games and. I looked at it and I said, no, I can't do that anymore. I've got, I've got stuff to do. And, you know, I just deleted them and moved on.
0: Good for you. I'm happy to hear that. So I, um, I, I like, I have this other, I have this other project that I'm, I'm working on. Um, it's a new podcast and, uh, it's called solo, the single person's guide to a remarkable life. So Uh it's, it's, it's for, it's for basically, it's a positive view of single living, and one of the principles that I put for, forward is to try to create more than you consume, mm-hmm. you know, to turn people more into artists. Right. And so the problem is, is consumption is easy yep. and it's often really good. You know, those games are made to capture your attention yep. and television and film and music has never been better in terms of getting you to just keep tuning in. Mm-hmm. And um, and so in that way, those those things are a lot like sugar. You yeah. know, they're good in the moment, but bad in the long run. And and what I want people to do is to create more. That's more like exercise. Uh-huh. You know, I want them to write and paint and make music and write jokes and build businesses and and so on. And so in order to do that, you have to what you're doing when you deleted your, your game apps off of your phone is um, you're protecting your time. Right. You know, and I will often so, for example, when I was editing stick to business, I would print out a paper copy of the book. Mm -hmm. I would go to a local coffee shop. I would leave my computer and my phone in my apartment Mm -hmm. and I would bring my wallet, keys, (laughs) a blue pen and a stack of hundreds of pages. Right. And I would just sit there and read and mark up the pages. Mm-hmm. And and then when I got like a little tired or I hit a sticky spot, the, the best I could do was get up, stand up, stand outside, get a little bit of fresh air. And then it was like back to that work. Right. Because, right. It, you know, and, and then what happened was when I was done, then I could like go enjoy myself. Yeah. You yeah. because it's a job well done.
1: And, and and you feel good about it. I mean, and you know, we know in this day and age there are so many things competing for our attention that our attention spans are small are smaller, you know, you're you're in marketing, you know. And we we have to take that back ourselves. Nobody nobody's gonna give it to us. We have to understand where our attention is going and take that back and put it into more positive things.
0: Absolutely, Scott. I um, think about this for a moment and I I really, you know, I want this book to be inspirational to people, but I'm going to put this in an even if I can, I'm going to try to put this in a more provocative way is like, first of all, you've got one life to live. Mm -hmm. And when you look back at the end of your life, you're not going to go. I wish I watched more TV. I wish I played more games on my phone. Right. You're, You're going to say. Know, I wish I was a better friend, I wish I I wish I had become a better painter, I wish I had always built the business that I wanted, I wish that I got out of that shitty job earlier. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, the stakes go way, way up. And so when the stakes are that high, then what you need to do is make profound change in your life, which is I can't let my damn phone and my Wi-Fi get in the way of my success. Yep. And where does success come from? Success does not come from dumb luck. Success comes from creating real value in the world. Mm-hmm. And creating real value in the world is, is a difficult creative process. Right. Now the beautiful thing, and this is where we can look to the arts and comedy for inspiration, is that when you put yourself into that creative mindset on a regular basis, it starts to feel less like work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So I, I don't know if you've ever had this, but when you're working on a creative product project is that like time sort of evaporates, yeah. <laughs> you forget to eat, Yeah. you know, you go, Oh my God, three hours just went by, you <laughs> yeah. know, but but the issue is that doesn't happen on day one or day thirty one, but mm. it may happen on day three hundred and one. Right. And so then what ha- that becomes really addicting. Yeah. Because now you are you're making something and enjoying yourself. Yeah. Along the way, now it's not in the same way that you enjoy playing a a, a game on an app. Yeah. But it's still satisfying, and oh, then yeah. you have something to show for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, having something something concrete in your hand that you've done is a lot more exciting, and it's better than you know, defeating level one hundred and twenty-seven in Candy Crush. You know, it it's just it just makes makes you feel better.
0: Also, here is the other thing: is Candy Crush does not pay the mortgage; Mm-mm. it does not put your kids in college through right. college. Yeah, right, and so. um, you know, work is called work for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to pay you to do it. Right. But why not do it well enough that they will pay you more to do it? Yeah. Or why not take that chance on that business that you've been tr- been thinking about doing, so then you can become your own boss, right. and that you're not limited by whatever HR says we are going to pay a, you know, VP.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: You know. Yeah, and, and I- please. Yeah
1: what well, i think i can make a pretty good analogy um first of all for the arts and uh thinking outside the box and concentrating on one thing to make themselves better and it's a it's a city it's uh, grand rapids michigan uh, okay. you know, several years ago probably 10 15 years ago Uh, Grand Rapids was really just a slum all the way through there. You know, they they didn't attract anybody. Um, No, no, nothing happened there. They had some businesses there, but it just it was just a crappy city. And they turned to the arts. You know, they very uh, specifically turned to the arts and said, we're going to make this an arts town. And so they started, you know, bringing different musicians, comics in. They started making new venues. And now you go to Grand Rapids. You know, my wife and I go there quite a bit. And that town, it's it's like maybe, I think, 150,000 people. And, you know, we'll leave a bar at 2 a.m. And people are just getting started. You know, it, mm. it's it's bustling. And businesses come in because of it. And it's it's amazing what the arts did and it's amazing what they did when they, what happened when they decided they wanted to um, change things.
0: I see. Yeah. Yeah. it's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is this is that, um, you know, I've written the book for the individual, but I think also organizations can learn from this, which is, um, you need to think differently if you're going to get ahead, Mm -hmm. you know, the world, the world rewards the risks associated with creativity, authenticity, being different. Right. You know, like we don't need another competitor to Coca-Cola. Right. Right. You know Um. what I mean? Like if something's already being done a certain way, you know, um, don't, you know, by your competitors, don't mimic it, right? Mm. If you want to give people a reason to move and live and stay in Grand Rapids, Michigan, you can't do the same thing that the next town is doing yep. because you don't have a reason to it. Right. Yep. So, so yeah, if you're like, we're going to make this a vibrant cultural place for a smaller city,
2: mm.
0: right. What, are, what's the knock against smaller cities, which is they're nice places to live, but they're not very sort of, you always think I got to go to Chicago for, for culture. Right. And if you can give people culture in the town that they live in, then you attract people. Yeah. Who want culture and mm. guess what you know what people who who want culture not, are the kinds of people you want in your community yep, yep. very you know? true and so now yep. you have better dentists who live in your community yep. <laughs> and you have better better insurance agents who live in your community and better right like yep. and it just and then it starts to build on itself yeah
1: yeah, and yeah and it's a neat
0: example it's a really neat yeah.
1: example I, I i wish uh the town next to me would uh do that because we're we're a town of about you know mishawaka is very small but south bend's about a hundred thousand and they could uh they could do a lot better and uh maybe someday they will but uh yeah that yeah i i think that's uh it's very provocative to think that um to take the the comedy way of thinking and put it into business and you know i can't i can't wait to get through that book um because you know i'm i'm in business and I, I you know i'm in a situation where we got a lot of silos and and um the stay in your lane thing always comes up and i'm like yeah i've been around here 14 years i'm not going to stay in my lane i'm going to come into your silo and tell you this is how you're affecting our client base and but you know i'm only one and uh, it's it's it, it's really neat to um, be able to associate that with something I'm so passionate about, which is you know obviously stand up comedy.
0: That's great. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I hope it's helpful. You know what I mean? Like I, um, I, I have found that writing the book has even changed my my perspective. Mm. You know, so many of these things I was already doing because I was sort of, you know either pulling them from my own kind of behavioral economics background or or seeing it, it seeing these kind of lessons help co- comics succeed in this very competitive world but even having um sort of done this like I'm writing the book and then I start doing the things that I'm saying in the book uh-huh. and it helps yeah. me you know become a better professional right and um for example, I'll, I'll give you another. I'll give you another quick example of this personally. So one of the, th- you know, one of the kind of um, cheat codes in comedy is to be authentic. Mm, yeah. Right? You know, and so so the idea is that if you if you try to be something you're not, first of all, audiences are really good at picking that up. Yep. You know, and then the other thing is like when you are authentic to yourself about yourself, that's often new and novel and titillating to an audience, right? Like people really like that. Yeah. I tell, I tell them, uh, an anecdote about Hannah Gatsby. Mm -hmm. Hannah Gatsby is a a comedian. She had a very popular, um, and some people would say groundbreaking Netflix special in which she talks about fearing that she has to give up comedy. And so, so for the first half of the, of the Netflix special, she tells jokes. The second half she forgoes the jokes in order to talk about her struggles,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, as a, especially as a lesbian and how it doesn't it, it, it doesn't feel good to her for her to self deprecate mm-hmm. yeah. in order to make in order to make comedy. Well, she closes that that Netflix special to a standing ovation mm-hmm. And Hannah's never worked more in her life, yeah. right? Like she was, she just took, you know, this sort of step out of the stream approach that I like to say,
2: mm.
0: and has, um, and has kind of recreated her career. Well, um, what I have found with this, um, new side hustle, this, this project on single living, I've had to kind of reveal the thing that was sort of private about my life. Mm hmm. You know, which was about being a bachelor and the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a single man. Mm. You know, and never having married and never having children. I could tell. I could tell you, uh, Scott. I've never received as many emails, text messages, phone calls, social media messages from people saying, "Oh my God, I love this!" Uh-huh. Like you know, what I mean, wow, you are really. You're a much better podcaster in that podcast than your I'm Not Joking podcast. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so that idea of authenticity, you could take even further and say, well, maybe if I'm thinking about starting my own entrepreneurial venture, maybe the best place to start is just with the thing that it matters to me. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that I think is going to be the perfect solution for me Mm. And then what might happen in a world of 8 billion people, maybe there's enough people out there who share that problem in that perspective, but because you did it for you, it's likely to be unique, right? right? It's likely to be authentic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, um, there's a good lesson in there where a lot of comics jokes start with something that they find funny mm-hmm. And then they turn it into something that everyone else—not everyone else, excuse me—their audience finds right, funny. Right, right,
1: yeah. yeah. and um, you know, it's funny. I did a podcast before this one. It was a local podcast, and I put um, almost five years into it, and it was pretty popular. And when I stopped doing it, a lot of people said, "Hey, what are you doing? Uh, don't stop." I didn't have any passion for it anymore. You know, I was doing the yeah. stand-up, and I wanted to take this journey where i talk to everybody about uh stand-up comedy and what it's all about and make a make a little um chronicle for them make a a a book of uh information that they can go to any time and listen to it and get a a little bit of a, a nugget of information that they can take and be better and let me tell you, I'm putting a heck of a lot more effort into this one than I did the last one.
0: <laughs> That's great, and also, you know, sometimes you have to, you know. So, comics will one of the one of the things that I uh, I talk about in in the book, in the "Step Out of the Stream" chapter, is that comics will often embrace constraints in a way that um, that the average person laments constraints. Mm-hmm. So it goes a little like this, right? Like, there's something. Um, that says how do i say this right um you know oh you can't do that right like you know so comics who decide to work clean
2: uh-huh.
0: are creating a constraint and because they don't rely on F bombs for cheap laughs it forces them to work that much harder on coming up with right with good material well one of the con- natural constraints is i'm chris rock I do a I do a Netflix special. Well, I can't go out on the road and tell those jokes again because my audience already knows those jokes. Yep. It forces me to then start over, mm. over again. Well, that's you have a podcast. The podcast is good, but you want to make a great podcast. Right. Maybe you need to to shutter the old the good podcast and start over yep. in order to make something great it's very hard for people to kill their darlings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, they, they care about sunk costs, you know, and so on. And so, um, I, I, you know, this goes against people's instincts, which is sometimes you have to say no to things in order to, to yep. make room and space for, for things to be, yep. to create. That's yes. uh,
1: that's an important point. Learning how to say no, because I'm always a yes man and, and it gets me into trouble. And yes. makes me lose sleep. That's a, and and it takes away from the things that I actually care about too.
0: Indeed, no, no, yeah, that's thing is like we have we have a finite amount of time and energy, right? And so, as I was saying earlier, what is the most rewarding ways to spend yep. that time? Um, and because you get one life, yeah. <laughs> and because I, what I want people to do is I want them, if they want to climb the corporate ladder, I want to help them climb the corporate ladder. If they want to start a, a new business, I want them to start a new business. If they're going to get out of a shitty job, I want to help them get out of a shitty job. Yeah. Um, I just think it's fun that we can look to these kind of misfits, these people who wear cargo pants to work uh-huh. as yeah. inspiration and for ideas in order to do that. Right. Because one thing about those, those folks most of them live life the way they want to live their lives. Yep. And I find that really inspirational. Yep.
1: And you have to respect it, uh, yeah. e- even, even if you don't like it. And, uh, I know we're coming up against. Uh, I mean, you're promoting this book like crazy. We're coming up against time. I got a couple things I want to mention. Sure. First of all, um, I know you're um, you're taking a break from doing new episodes of the I'm Not Joking podcast, but I do want to direct everybody who's listening to listen to the Todd Glass episode because. Ah, um, yes. The, the guy is nuts, but when he talks about venues, I mean, most of the thing is about venues uh, and how to do a perfect venue and, and all that. It is absolutely gold. I think, you know, I, I've listened to a few years, and I just, that was that's a podcast that stands out, and I actually listened to it twice because I wanted to uh, get all the information I could from it. And, you know, I've always loved Todd Glass, and the that episode was fantastic.
0: That That's great to hear. So one thing, the good news is this, is that i am doing i'm basically um i've been a little slow on my i'm not joking ones but i'm i'm launching a podcast every day for 10 days right around the book launch uh-huh. and i've got some very fun guests including um i got anthony jeselnik oh. for um for one of those podcasts i think uh-huh. uh you know on the on the april 3rd um day
1: Were there a but, lot of long um, pauses during that interview
0: <laughs> ah, no, it was great. It was great. It was fun because I'm, I'm actually a fan. And so I found myself like being like mildly nervous, which doesn't normally happen in a uh-huh. podcast. For yeah. me. Um, But he was really quite gracious. And he's, uh, you know, he's such a smart guy. Todd, I first of all, I will tell you this. Todd is just a lovely man. You yeah. know, so we, so he has, you know, when he's on stage or when he's on a podcast, he's he you know, he's, he's amplified. Yep. You know, so off when the when the when the lights aren't on, he's a much like um, more normal yeah. kind of personality. Uh-huh. But he gets he can get rather agitated and amplified. And I really enjoyed that podcast too yeah. enough so that um, so in it we talk about how do you engineer the perfect comedy space? Yeah, so how do you create a, a context? And in Stick to business, I I use that those ideas to talk about how do you create a space for yourself at work or otherwise that will allow you to be maximally productive? Uh And so, you know, I think it's a nice reminder, whether you're creating a retail environment or you're planning an office, that your space needs to maximize whatever it is that you need to maximize. So, you know, my joke is you need to hire someone new. Okay, let's sit around a rectangular table under fluorescent lights and discuss it. Uh-huh. Oh, we need a new, a new feature for this product. Let's sit around a rectangular table under <laughs> fluorescent lights and discuss it. Yeah. We need a new brand. Well, let's sit around a rectangular table <laughs> under fluorescent lights and discuss it. Well, that cannot be the best way to do all three of those things. Nope. And so then what is it that you need? Um, And I tell a story about uh, one of my friends and colleagues, this guy, Ethan Decker. He is he has crowned himself the master of energy. Uh And so when there's a when there's a meeting, he is engineering the space, like opening the blinds to let natural light in. And he's making sure the temperature in the room is right. And he's putting out dark chocolate. Uh And he has, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He's during breaks playing music so people can have side conversations. And you know what I mean? Like, you know, and all of that is exactly the same kind of not it's not it's not the same way that you create comedy, but it's around the same principle, which is we have a goal. And let's make a context that maximizes that goal.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I do my best thinking in shitty bars. So, you know, that's and uh, that that's just the way it is. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um, is it Hemingway who talked about um a quiet, clean place? Yeah,
1: I think he has, so. Yeah,
0: he, he has an essay where he talks about how everybody needs a quiet, clean place yeah. or something like that and how a bar can be that place yeah. for someone. Yeah. It means yeah. different
1: things to different people. Some people want to be out in the sun. I like a dark bar. And Good for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and one last thing I want to talk about, and this is mostly for me, hopefully other comics have experienced this. So I'm 55 years old and uh, so I'm right in that boomer category and my age group hangs on nostalgia like you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. and i am like the most anti-nostalgia guy in the world like if an reo speed wagon song comes on the radio i turn <laughs> it you know i'm always wanting to go forward i want to learn new stuff i want to hear new music i want to listen to new comics and stuff like that so i've i've done this joke about a million different ways and okay. um it almost universally bombs and I want to make it work somehow but I don't know if I can so basically I talk about nostalgia and um, how everybody in my age group thinks that Led Zeppelin is the end all be all band and they compare everybody to Led Zeppelin, they listen to Led Zeppelin all the time and then my punchline goes to the effect you know what, Led Zeppelin was a great band I've listened to a lot of it but I've listened to enough Led Zeppelin. I've turned it off, and you can too. And your your reaction is exactly the reaction <laughs> I get from crowds. I, I obviously do it better, but it's so funny how people hang on. And being in marketing, you probably understand if you're marketing to my age group, that people hang on to that nostalgia so much, and it keeps them from moving forward in, in their life and, and making good changes. And I just, you know, I... And that's the reason why I wrote the joke in the first place. So people could maybe say, hey, you know, maybe I am hanging on to that too much. And, you know, I I should burn my REO Speedwagon T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, how does nostalgia play into, you know, marketing, comedy, business, all that?
0: All right. So that's interesting. So so first of all, I think it's funny uh, that you're trying to create a thermostat joke. Uh Uh-huh. All right versus yeah. a thermometer joke. Yeah, um, I I actually don't dislike your premise for mm. this idea. Like, so I like the idea that of taking something that everybody thinks is good and then pointing out how it's bad, or taking something that everything that people think is bad and pointing out how it's good. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's the that's the classic, um, and and I write about this in to business. That's the reversal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You right. know, everybody says go, you say stop. Everybody says stop, you say go, yeah. and there's a chance for for some some comedy in that. Now, of course, the thing is, this is that um, just because you're doing a reversal doesn't mean that it's going to be funny. Right. That's where the that's where the creativity and artistry comes in, and so. I think, first of all, that, um, I think that nostalgia, you know, is a little bit of a double edged sword, yep. right? So, um, I think it's nice to be wistful about the past, right? It helps us feel more comfortable with our past. Mm. Um, the problem of course is that you can never get back to the past, right? Like yep. the future is more important than the past mm. to our livelihoods, to our health, to our, to our, um, our being. Um, The other thing is, is that the past, and I I feel comfortable in saying this, the past is never as good as we remember it. And and the the reason is, is that the passing of time helps to dampen all the negative things. Like, I like to say the 80s sucked. Uh Like, let's stop romanticizing the 80s. The economy was trash. The fashion was bad. And yeah, you know, like we do remember the good songs, but no one part of the reason why we think 80s music is so good is because we never hear the bad songs. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, right. So even even Led Zeppelin has bad songs. Oh, yeah. But we only hear the good ones. Right. Because they're the ones that stand the test of time. Yeah. So so on one hand, I do think that nostalgia is an opportunity because, again, it helps us feel good and helps us feel good about the past. Um, But I think that it gets in the way of progress, you know, in in that sense, you know, which is is like you could spend the rest of your life listening to Led Zeppelin, and that music is quite fine. It's quite Mm -hmm. good. Um, But you're missing out on opportunities for a lot of other good music, even music that was... Influenced by yeah. Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, you know, so there's some chance that that you know innovation has happened um, and that some things that are new and novel are valuable. Now, what I can't do is tell you how to um, make that joke work, but I would tell you that you shouldn't give up on that joke yet. Mm. I think that the premise is right, but there's probably a different approach that feels less threatening. So for example, you know, like, is there, I'm just spitballing here. This is, this is, um, this is what comics do all the time. Right. You know, which is like, Oh, well maybe there's another way to show how you give up other things about the sixties and seventies, but you're not wearing bell bottoms anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, you, you know, you now, um, Shave your bush and you didn't do that back then, uh, Yeah. Right? Like there might be a way to get a lot of laugh lines around the idea, and you never have to tell people you should stop listening to Led Zeppelin. Right. Rather, you could you could point out, you know how peculiar it is that you still listen to Led Zeppelin and you do almost nothing else yeah. <laughs> that you used that used to be done in the 60s. Right, right. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know. It's just an idea, right? Yeah. Like you know, you don't drive those cars. Those cars are death traps. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't put uh, you don't put leaded gasoline in your car anymore. That's terrible for your environment. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, so I would say, like, keep fussing with it. Yeah. Um, because, again, I think that, that there's a kernel there that that there's. Uh, um, and by the way, no one will ever be as motivated to tell that joke well yeah. as you. Yeah,
1: yeah yeah I definitely own it, and i I think you're right. I think that that's always been a single punchline joke, and I think if I put multiple tags in there, it um, first of all will soften the blow and uh, also get them to where they're not as threatened and uh, and, and uh, work, it'll work with all ages of audience. Young people usually get it, but uh, when you when I do it in front of people, my age, which is usually who I'm playing to, it just doesn't work.
0: Yeah, I wonder if there's, um, yeah, I don't know, I, 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 you know, I'm not a comedian, I spend a lot of time with comics, and I study their process, but I I don't have the, if I ended up becoming a comic, I'd have to become kind of a um, a grinder, you yeah. know what I mean, Like where I just need to work, 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 because yeah. I, I don't always have the best instincts when it comes to writing, writing material. Right, right.
1: Well, Peter, we've uh, we've talked for a while here, and it's been wonderful talking. Uh, I want to make sure that our audience understands what you are doing. Okay, first of all, we got the humor code, which is available now. Um, yes. I like the book. You should read it, um, and you should uh, also uh, get the audio book, because that's how I'm going through it. <laughs> so
0: Fine. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun—you know, uh, as, a, as a quick aside— the the voiceover artist who does the the humor codes audiobook is in the movie Caddyshack. Oh, he okay. is one of the he's one of the kids who basically there's a there's a classic scene with Bill Murray telling a story about playing golf with the Dalai Lama yeah, and he's uh-huh. sort of holding a pitchfork and kind of has this kid cornered. Uh-huh. That kid grew up to become a voiceover oh, actor, cool. this guy Peter. Yeah. That's the guy. It's a funny little thing.
1: That's really yeah. cool. And then, uh, okay, April 1st, Stick to Business comes out. Um, can we pre-order that on as Amazon now?
0: Uh, it will be up shortly. Okay, I don't know when great. this podcast is going to come out, but by the time it comes out, it would probably be order. But I ask people to buy it on April 1st if they could. Okay, and, excellent. And please write reviews. I'm happy to, if you like yeah. it, please leave a review. That yeah. matters
1: well i'm gonna I'm gonna make the purchase and I'm gonna leave a review, so that's great. And also, um make sure you subscribe to the I'm Not Joking podcast. as Peter said, he's got some uh, uh, a bunch of episodes coming up, including Anthony Jesselneck and um you know I'm gonna be um, glued glued to my car speakers when I listen to that one. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. I really appreciate you being on the podcast, Peter. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best. I, I've been inspired by what you've written, and I think you're doing great stuff.
0: I really appreciate it. I, I wish you the best, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're doing this podcast something that you feel energized and excited about. Right. Well, thanks a lot. Cheers. Appreciate right.
2: it.